0: Well, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out and go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, as we are continuing our series on the book of Acts called The Unstoppable Church. And so, as you are turning there, can we just show our appreciation to Bryce and Allie for leading us in worship this morning? Can we do that? Thank you. Thank you so much, Bryce and Natalie. They are leading worship for us this morning because um, part of our worship ministry team is in uh, New York City, and they will be uh, singing and performing um, at a little unknown place. I don't know if you've ever heard of this place before or not. Carnegie Hall? Is that right? I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. Uh, um, I'm being sarcastic. You better know about Carnegie Hall. That's a pretty big deal. So several of our people are there, and so we uh, miss them, and we're praying for them as they are um, there and when they return home. And so, um, again, thank you, Bryce and Allie, for leading us. Um, Also, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and also, I do want to say this, happy Texas Tech Red Raider Day to you as well. So, people were wondering, you can figure it out from that welcome, um, that we are going bowling this year. It may be the Cheez-It Bowl, but we're going bowling. Anyways, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we are um, this morning and I want us to uh, look at um, this uh, next uh, verses one through 18 in the book of Acts. And yes, this is the beginning of Thanksgiving week and many of our people are on the road and will begin traveling and and experiencing um, great times with family this week. (coughs) I pray that you will have safe travels and wonderful time with your family. But today, even though you may have thought you were coming here to hear a wonderful, uplifting uplifting Thanksgiving message, I want to talk to you about the opposite of Thanksgiving, criticism. I've titled today's message, Conquering Criticism. And I want to begin by saying these words. I hate criticism. Anybody with me this morning? I, I don't like criticism at all, and, but we, we all experience it. Listen to uh, some one-liners about criticism and about critics. Critics are like weeds. They keep popping up no matter how much you try to get rid of them. Uh, critics are like referees. They think they're in control, but really they're just blowing a whistle and making everybody angry. Pretty good. How about this one? Zig Ziglar, one of my favorite um, authors, said this. Don't be distracted by criticism. Remember, the only taste of success some people have is when they take a bite out of you. (laughs) Can I get a witness on that one? Yeah, that's pretty good. And here's one. You'll like this one. From the great theologian, Lou Holtz. Former Notre Dame head football coach, he said this, you're never as good as anyone tells you when you win, and you're never as bad as you are when they say when you lose, amen? It's really not as good and it's really not as bad, but in your life, at least once, somebody will take issue with you, amen? And more than likely, it's more than just once. You can count on it in your life that you will face criticism. I remember several years ago when I was, um, actually we took our our church to uh, Israel and I had the opportunity and unique opportunity to preach um, at Jerusalem Baptist Church i mean, a pretty cool moment. The church is right outside uh, the, the walls, the temple mount. Uh, it's in the background. We're at Jerusalem Baptist Church, and, and I preached what, what I thought was a great message, but somebody in the congregation did not think it was a great message. And they made a beeline to me right after the message was done and said, sir, you did not preach the gospel. You preached a false gospel which I found ironic because the title of the message was The Gospel is for All Nations. But his criticism, what? It stung. It hurt. And here's the reality, we will all face naysayers in our lives. Every single one of us will have a negative Nancy or a critical Carl in our life, amen? You wanna to point to him right now? Just point everywhere. No, but we have them in our lives. And, and the negative Nancy's, the critical Carl's, they will tell you, they will tell you you're the wrong person. They will tell you that you've got the wrong idea and they will even tell you that you are doing it the wrong way. And if they don't tell you, they tell everybody else about you. Amen? Criticism. And when you get criticized, it hurts. There isn't anything that pierces the soul deeper than negative words that are shared to you about you. It hurts. Now let me define criticism for you this morning. Criticism is the act of judging someone or something unfavorable, ble, 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 unfavorable and in negative lights. That's what criticism is. Now, there's two types of criticism. There's constructive criticism, which we all love. Amen? Constructive criticism it's criticism that's designed to be positive in the end. That's the way it's supposed to work. Constructive criticism. We all at times need somebody in our lives to correct us when we're wrong and do it in such a way that we feel good about it, amen? That's the way it's supposed to happen. A lot of times it doesn't work that way. But the other type of criticism is destructive. Well, I don't have to define that one. But criticism, it can bring you down or it can even cause you to grow. John Maxwell said this about criticism. He said, I've discovered that my attitude toward words that I do not want to hear determine whether I grow from them or where i groan beneath them. Well, are there guidelines from which in scripture that can help us to conquer criticism? Well, I I believe so. And in our text, Acts chapter 11, uh, verses one through 18, we see an example from Peter that shows us how to conquer criticism. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 11. Now let's set the stage for you again. Now this is, this is the third message in Acts 10 and 11. Now why is that? Because the story that is told from Acts chapter 10 verse 1 through Acts 11 verse 18, this is one of the most important stories in all of the Bible. This is one of the most important uh, scripture stories in, in the New Testament, in Acts, but in the entire Bible. If you were to say, pastor, ten, 10 sermons you could preach, which one of the 10 would you preach? This text would be one of them. I told, you that, I told you that last week because this is an important text. This story that is retold about Peter taking the gospel to the Gentiles, this is our story If you are a Gentile, which simply means you are not a Jew. If you're not a Jew, this is your story. Because of Acts chapter 10, the gospel is able to come to Brunswick. The gospel was able to come to Atlanta. The gospel was able to come to North America. Why? Because of Acts chapter 10. This is an important story that you and I, we need to know the story because it's our story. And so what is the story? Let me review this for you in case you've missed it. But in Acts chapter 10, we have two visions and two people. The first vision is to a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Gentile who doesn't believe in Jesus. Although he knows God, he doesn't know who Jesus is. And so Cornelius has a vision. An angel appears to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers, I've heard you. Now you go find a man by the name of Peter. He's in Joppa. And he tells, uh, he tells Cornelius exactly where Peter is located. And he says, you go find Peter, bring him back to Caesarea, because Peter has a message for you. And that message will bring salvation to you and your household. So, Cornelius does it, he obeys, sends men down to Joppa. Well, at the same time, Peter, who's in Joppa, has a vision from the Lord. And you remember the vision. The vision is of a sheet that comes down from heaven. And on that sheet, you remember, it's a menu, right? It's a menu from Southern Soul and Gary Lee's Barbecue, amen? Now, let me add something to this. On the menu is also Twin Oaks barbecue. The reason I share that with you is because somebody criticized me because I didn't mention Twin Oaks. So there you go. Are you with me? And Peter sees this vision, and it's all of the four-footed beasts, four-footed animals, the wild beasts, and birds of the air, and what does God, in this vision, say to Peter? He says, Peter, you get up, you kill, and you, what, eat. And Peter, who loves to obey the Lord, immediately said, no way. I'm not doing that, God, because you know I've never touched anything unclean. Oh, how self-righteous he was. Amen? And God says, Peter, you need to listen to me. And God gives Peter this vision three times. He says, Peter, you listen to me. You get up, you go kill and eat, and Peter tries to figure out what this story means, what this vision means, and he comes to the realization all the way through the rest of chapter 10, he comes to the realization that this vision, it's really not about food, is it? It's really not about the food, what's the vision about? It's about the gospel going to the Gentiles, because up to this point, the gospel's only going to the Jews. It's in Uh, Jewish terminology, it's in Jewish thought. And so Peter obeys, goes back up to Caesarea with men from Caesarea and from Cornelius. Peter walks in, friend today is happening at at, uh, Cornelius' house, you remember? And Peter walks in and says, why did you want me to come? And Cornelius says, because you have a message for us, we want to be saved. Now listen, folks, whenever somebody says to you, I want to be saved, let me give you a clue. You tell them the gospel. And that's what Peter does. He shares the gospel with them, and something happens that hasn't happened to the Gentiles before. It's something that happened in Acts chapter two to the Jews. What happens? The Holy Spirit does what? Boom! The Holy Spirit falls. Holy Spirit comes upon them, on the Gentiles. The Gentiles actually began to speak in some tongues as well, and the Jewish people are there, they are astonished. Peter is amazed, and Peter says, well, I tell you what, let's go get baptized, and there you see believers' baptism. They're baptized after salvation. And so, at the end of Acts chapter 10, this is a great thing. This should cause people to celebrate. There should be a celebration, because this is a great and glorious day. The gospel has made its way all the way to the nations, which is being a fulfillment of Acts 1-8, that the disciples were to be uh, God's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And in Acts 10, this is being fulfilled. This is a great and glorious day. But little does Peter know is that criticism is right around the corner. Let's look at verse one. Are you with me this morning? Verse one. Now the apostles and the brethren, I'm talking about believers, who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now, let let me help you out here. The, The phrase, receive the word of God, that's another term for salvation. So it means this, when you receive the word of God, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what it means, you receive the word. You believe the word and you act upon the word. And so the Gentiles received the word. This should cause celebration. Verse two, when Peter, after many days um, up in uh, Caesarea, he comes up to Jerusalem and those who were circumcised, um, this means those who were Jewish believers. This is Jewish believers, these are not unbelievers. Those who were circumcised took issue with him and they said to him, Peter, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Do you hear the disdain in their voice? What did they not mention to Peter? They did not mention to Peter the great news that the gospel had come to all the nations instead Instead, instead, they rain on Peter's parade and Peter experiences criticism. Have you ever had somebody rain on your parade? When you expect a celebration and instead you got criticism. <laughs> That's right here. Now what do you do? Well, let me give you four things. Number one, you need to understand you will face criticism. That's a fact of life. You will be criticized. You look in the Old Testament, you see Moses, the great leader of God's people, taking them from Egypt into the promised land, and if you remember Moses' story, you know that at first he really did not want to be the leader because he knew that he was going to have to face criticism because here's what happened to Moses. God had had called Moses, and Moses agreed to lead lead God's people out of uh, Egypt into the promised land because in Egypt, listen to me, in Egypt life was bad. In Egypt, life was bad. They had been, the Israelites had been driven by horrible, horrific uh, taskmasters. They were oppressive. Um, They were were bullies to the Israelites. And, And God says to Moses, you go lead my people out. And when Moses tells his people, let's go, let's go to the Promised Land, you would think that they would throw him a party, right? What does he get? His criticism, he gets criticized in Exodus chapter 16, verse three, it says this of, of Moses in this whole situation. It says "As the people said to Moses, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, but you Moses, you've brought us out to die. How far off the truth was that? It wasn't even close. And here's what I find remarkable about the Israelites' complaints to Moses is that scripture says this, that Moses, I want you to listen, Moses was the most humble man to ever live on the face of the earth. That's what Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says. Moses was a humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Yet here you have a million, two million, three million people saying, Moses, you are an arrogant man to come lead us out of Egypt where life was good. Was it good? No. No. And they said to Moses, you must be Mr. Big Shot to think that you can lead us out into the promised land. How dare you? And if you've read the story, you know many times Moses said to God, God, if you don't kill him, I will, right? (laughs) You kind of have that dialogue multiple times with Moses and God and sometimes God says, Moses, I'm gonna kill him and what does Moses say? Don't do it. But you get the picture. Moses faced criticism. Um, Did Jesus have any critics? Yeah, of course he did. He had his share of criticism. But what I want you to see back in Acts 11, 1, 2, and 3, is I want you to see this, and I want you to listen closely. This criticism that coming Peter's way it's coming from fellow believers. It's one thing to be criticized by those who don't believe like us, amen? Are you with me, church? It's one thing, it's one thing, Georgia Bulldog fans, to be criticized by a Crimson Tide fan. But it hurts when it's your own people. It hurts when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table and somebody says, you messed up the pumpkin pie. (laughs) Are you with me? It hurts. Now I want you to look at verses two and three. There's a couple of words, phrases, I want to point out to you that point To the heart of the issue when it comes to criticism. In verse 2 and verse 3, I want you to look at the phrase took issue, that's in verse 2, and in verse 3 look at the word saying, because those two words or phrases give us a clue to the heart. Hold that thought for just a second about the heart, hold that thought. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus tells us about the heart. In Luke 6, 45, Jesus is telling us, he says, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then Jesus says these words, for his mouth speaks from the, what, everybody say that word? Overflow of the heart. What does Jesus say? Or what does Jesus connect to the heart? He connects our mouth. Jesus connects the words we say, the words that come out of our mouths, he connects them back to what? The heart. I want want you to write this down what you treasure in your heart will emerge from your mouth. What you put into your heart, what you, what you love, what you hold on to, what you store in your heart, guess what? It's going to come out of your mouth, or it will show up in a tweet. Right? It will show up on social media. It will show up in your words. Why does that happen? Because Jesus said, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your fingers, it begins right here. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And in Luke 6, 45, Jesus mentions the word store up. Um, uh, Other translations will say treasure. Uh, That Greek word for store up, um, it's the Greek word thesaurus. Does that sound like an English word? It's a thesaurus. That's where we get our English word. What's a thesaurus? It is a storage of words. And when Jesus says, whatever you store in your heart, it will come out and he says it just won't trickle out what does he say it will overflow meaning whatever you put in your heart it is going to come out of your mouth you got it go back to Acts chapter 11 the good news has gone to the Gentiles The believers in Jerusalem have heard it. The circumcised believers in Jerusalem have heard about the great news that the gospel is going to all the people. And in verse two, it says this, that the circumcised took issue with him, and they said to him. That phrase, took issue, it really means to divide, and in some translations, it says to criticize. And the way the Greek is used here, it implies they kept going and going and going and going after Peter time and time again. Meaning they would not stop. They took issue with him, they criticized him, they criticized him in public, they criticized him in private, but they went after him and they said, how dare you eat with those who don't look like us? Now what's the issue? It's a hard issue. When you and I criticize people, not constructively, but when you and I go after people negatively to harm them and destroy them, church, listen to me. You're in the wrong. You're in the wrong. Happy Thanksgiving. Would everybody be in agreement with that? You're in the wrong. And whenever you begin to criticize and be critical, guess where you need to start looking in your own life? You gotta go back to the heart. Were these circumcised believers better than Peter? Are these circumcised believers in here that are offering their criticism, are they better than Peter? Are they on a different level than Peter? Are they on a different level than the Gentiles? Absolutely not. They're not. And when we begin to criticize, here's what happens. We put ourselves above other people, which is contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel says you humble yourself. Now, understanding context in this story, we're not talking about a right or wrong issue or somebody needs to stand up for the right and the wrong. Are you with me? When something's wrong, you stand up. But this is a problem between believers here, and we've got one group that says, Peter, we're better than you. We're, we're better than what's going on. And they don't see the goodness that God has taken the gospel to the Gentiles. Instead, they're afraid their own people are gonna start looking bad. Well, they should have been celebrating, but they weren't. Yeah, I, I, wrote a, I wrote down a few things this morning as I was just reflecting on this passage this morning. I wrote down a few things as to why people criticize. Um, people criticize when they are hurt themselves. Yeah? People criticize when they see other people not following the rules and they follow the rules. Don't color outside the lines. People criticize when they are jealous. People criticize because they would have done it differently than you did. Right? Anybody feeling good about themselves this morning? Well, you see God's people criticizing God's people here. What do you do if you're the Peter in this situation? Let me give you a couple of things. Here's the second point of the message It's this. When criticized, you keep the big picture in view. You keep the big picture in view. Look at verses four through 15. Y'all still with me this morning? Uh, Look at verses 4 through 15. Notice what Peter does and what he does not do. He really does two things in verses um, uh, 4 through 15. Number one, he doesn't attack them personally. The circumcised believers, they took issue with Peter. Peter, not one time in this text does he go after the circumcised believers personally, he doesn't do that. What Peter does instead is he he keeps the big picture in view. Look at verse four. Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, meaning this, he laid out exactly what had happened back in Caesarea. Verse five, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky and it came right down to me. Have we heard this story before? have we heard this story before yeah in in acts 10 and acts 11 right here this is the third time this story is mentioned three times in i believe 66 or so verses this story is mentioned do you think god wants you to know this story look at your neighbor say i think so He does. God wants you and I to know this story, and so He repeats this story over and over and over. Listen, on a little side note, when you read Scripture and you see something that is repeated, you need to know that God is saying something that you need to know. You need to know that. When it says in Scripture, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, what do you think God wants you to know about Himself? He's holy. Whenever it's in triplets, what that means in Scripture, in the Greek it means this, it's a big deal. That's what it means. It's important. You pay attention to this story. So whenever you are criticized and you face criticism, listen, you keep the big picture in view. Peter is being used by God. He has believers who are criticizing him and are putting down the way that God is using him, and Peter does not get down on their level. Peter stays on God's level, and he keeps the big picture in view. And when you read Acts 10, you read Acts 11, the key point of these two chapters is this, the gospel is for all the people. And Peter sticks to that. Peter sticks to it. Peter sticks to his mission that God gave to every disciple, the 12 disciples and every disciple since then is that you are a witness for Jesus Christ in all the earth. Peter sticks to his mission. He keeps his big, keeps God's view in mind. He says, I am not going to be, I'm not going to be redirected by criticism that is really coming after me. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, you have died to yourself. And so those words of other people do not have an effect on you. Why? Because you've died to yourself. It's easier said than done, amen? But you've died to yourself. When you're criticized, you keep the big picture in view. You stick to your mission, which is God's mission. You stay true to God's mission. Do you think God will take care of those circumcised believers? You think God is big enough to take care of them? Can God handle them? Can God do a better job than you will do? Have you ever tried to handle people who criticize you? Sure you have. Sure you have. But is God able? Is God able to be your defender? Is God able to protect you Yes, the proverb says this you run to God. You run into Jehovah Jireh. You run under Jehovah, who is your strong tower. The proverb says, the righteous run unto it or into it, and they will be. anybody know? Say, you get criticized, you run to Jesus. You go to Jesus, who will wrap his arms around you and he will protect you, and he will take care of you. Here's the a, here's a next thing that you wanna do when criticism comes your way. Remember God's word when you face criticism. You will face criticism, you're going to, you keep the big picture in view, and then the third thing is you remember God's word. Look at verse, jump down to verse number 16. Jump to verse number 16. Y'all still with me this morning? Verse number 16, and Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord. How he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter gives us the example of sticking to God's word over man's word. Church, believer, you listen to God. You put God's word over man's word. God's word which has already been revealed, is stronger than man's word. Now let me give you an example. Um, Some of you, you may have grown up with a Roman Catholic background. Some of you may have. And Catholics have a head of the church, and we call him what? The Pope. Well, there is a certain moment in Roman Catholicism when the Pope sits on the throne and they use the Latin term ex cathedra. You ever heard that term before? Deer in the headlights, awesome. (laughs) Ex cathedra. Ex cathedra means this to speak with authority. In Roman Catholicism, it means this, that whenever the pope sits on the throne and he speaks ex cathedra, here's what it means. The pope's words are on level playing ground with God's words. Did you know that? Meaning, that the Pope's words have equal value as God's words. For those of you who have the Roman Catholicism background, um, I, I just wanna let you know that's, that's not what God's word says. That's, that's nowhere in scripture. That's not what is taught from Genesis to Revelation. That's not what's taught Because scripture says that God's word is the ultimate authority. And that men's words are never on the same authority as God's word. Now, let let me give you another example. As your pastor, um, God has granted me and us a level of spiritual authority that I have over your life. Amen? Say that a little bit louder, please. All right? Amen? That's the, that's the way, that's, that's, that's the God-given relationship between a pastor and the flock, right? But that does not mean that my words have final authority in your life, right? My responsibility as a pastor and as your pastor is to say this, thus saith the Lord. That's the authority. It's the authority found in the revealed words of God that are accurate, that are always up to date, and that are always applicable and always relevant. God's word, thus saith the Lord. Those words are the words that have power. So whenever you are criticized, go to the one who has the authority. You go to the one who has the power, you meditate on his words, you dwell upon his words, and then you hide his words in your, so that you may not sin against him. When you're criticized, you go back to what God says about you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knows you intimately well, that God has granted you gifts that he hasn't granted other people. That there is nobody else like you in all of this planet to which your mom and dad say, thank you, Jesus, because more than one of you would be difficult, right? (laughs) You go back to what God's word says about you. Because when it comes to criticism, you can choose to listen to what God says about you or you can choose to listen to what, what man says about you. And the only one that matters is what God says. And you have to decide, you have to decide whom you're going to give permission to speak into your life. Are you gonna let man's words, who says how dare you eat with the uncircumcised? Or are you gonna listen to God's word that says you take the gospel to all the nations? Big difference, big difference. You're criticized, you go back to God's word. And then here's number four. You trust the Holy Spirit to change others. Look at verse 17 and 18. You trust the Holy Spirit to change others. Peter continues this story. He says, therefore, if God gave to them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Point being, Peter says, I don't wanna get in the way of God. I don't want to do that, and then look at verse 18. When they, the circumcised believers heard this, they quieted down, huh, huh, the critics stopped. You see it? What does it say? They quieted down. And not only did they quiet down, They turned into the greatest worshipers that you could ever know. Do you see it? Not only did they stop, they repented. They turned. They turned from putting man down to giving glory to God. Is that not a picture of repentance? That's repentance. When they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God. And they said, well, God's granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Wow. And you notice what Peter didn't do? Peter did not ask them to change their mind and repent. You see that? He trusted the Holy Spirit. And he didn't fight with them. He let God take care of this. Billy Graham said this one time. He said this, you can wrestle with a pig, but only one of you is going to enjoy it. (laughs) Right? You can wrestle with a pig, but you're probably not going to enjoy it. So what do you do? You trust God. Is God able, church? Is God able, when somebody comes into your life and puts you down, ignores you, rejects you, says all kind of bad things about you that are not true, is God able to take care of you? Absolutely He is. You listen to the voice of God. You listen to the voice of truth. You fill your mind with the things of God and you trust Him. You trust Him. I want you to look at Psalm 118, verse six. It's gonna be up on the screen. Uh, Psalm 118, verse six um, says this. I think it's on the screen. Yeah, can we go, up? maybe I don't have it. Okay, is it up there? Yep, there it is, okay. Psalm 118, verse six, I love what David says here. Um, It's actually one of my uh, favorite verses. It's also repeated in Hebrews as well, but it's a great verse to memorize when you're being criticized. Church, can we read it together? Psalm 118.6 says this, The Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Let's say that again. The Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Church, man cannot harm you. Yes, they can take your physical life, but they can't take your soul and they can't take your eternity. The things that we need to invest in. So if you are being criticized, you hang in there. You keep preaching Jesus, you keep running to the cross. But if you're the one who's being the critical heart and you are criticizing, there's three things. Scripture calls you to repentance that you turn from your wicked ways. And scripture also says this, that you need to consider others better than yourself. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, have, but out of pure humility for others. Consider others better than yourself. He says, do not look to your own interests, but you look to the interest of others. Listen, if you have a critical heart, The focus is typically on you. You turn your attention away from you. You turn it on to Jesus, you turn it on to others. And the last thing, if you are the critical person in this story, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. You tell God thank you for that person that you have been critical about. And vice versa, for those who have been criticized, tell God thank you for what's going on in that person's life. Paul says this in First Thessalonians, he says this, in all things give thanks for this is God's will for you. Church, the gospel calls us to a higher living standard. Grace does not call you to a lower standard of living. He calls us to be above and to follow our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. The message of chapters 10 and 11 is the gospel is for all people. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life over to the gospel of Jesus Christ, hear this promise from Paul in Romans ten thirteen. He says this, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, here's the promise, you will be saved. Will you do that today? Will you get right with the Heavenly Father? Then once you do that, get right with the men and women in your life. And let's be the greatest encouraging people known in this entire planet, amen? Won't you pray with me? Father, we come before you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a forgiving and good God Would you please forgive us for the times that we have criticized and have had a critical heart? And at this time, would you reveal any hardness of our own heart? Break us. And we confess that to you. And Father, if we are on the receiving end, Father, would you give us strength to make it through? And may we run unto you the strong tower because once we run unto you, we will be saved. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said,